Hi, everybody. Happy Easter. It's always a good day to be up here because everybody's so colorful. Um, my name is Carol Wackerlin. My husband, Gary, and I lead the Celebrate Recovery ministry here at Windsor Road. For those of you who don't know, Celebrate is a ministry for people like me who want to work on their hurts, habits, and hang-ups, the ones that keep us from being the people that God intended us to be. So although today is a great day, I have to tell you that life hasn't always been so joyful for me. Not so long ago, I found myself stuck in my own personal tomb. Back then, it seemed like Good Friday would last forever and Easter would never come. I met Gary when I was 14 and married him after my sophomore year at U of I. Our first 30 years of marriage had been full of the usual ups and downs. Gary had a good job at a bank in Champaign, and I built a lucrative photography business. Our two kids were healthy and active. Gary's mom and my dad went through years of health issues. My father had struggled for over 30 years with myasthenia gravis and was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 1991. He died just days later after having his second leg amputation. My grandmother, the one who'd inspired the artistic side of me, died one year later, one week after our first kid left for college. And those of you who have sent a child to college know the feelings that a mom might have then, launching me into one of several periods of depression. My first fit of rage over alcohol came in 1992 when our 14-year-old son came home from the pool drunk. That episode was replayed in years to come, and I remember praying that he'd make it through college without becoming a fraternity party statistic. Despite all of this, life was manageable until about 10 years ago when my world began to unravel. During this time, Gary suggested we leave a church we'd attended for over 30 years because of frustrations over an interim pastor. I resented that and his frustrations about our new family business and the fact that we had started isolating ourselves from our friends. Most of all, I was frustrated that no matter how much I nagged, I couldn't stop his drinking. We were growing apart, and I looked for acceptance anywhere I could get it. I started spending lots of time away from home, visiting friends, going on mission trips, traveling for work, anywhere I could laugh a little and feel valued. I complained to my friends until they became bored with my stories. My life had become unmanageable. I was caught in the middle of a tornado of blame and hurt and frustration, and finally, all I wanted was out. I was ready to walk away from a 35-year marriage. The chaos of my life had literally taken my voice away and I spent many days laying on my bed in tears. My own personal tomb was dark and lonely. I felt dead inside, overwhelmed by sadness and unable to find the joy that once was mine. I continued to hang on to my child life belief that Jesus loved me, but questioned God's plan for my life. Didn't he care that my life was falling apart? I used to feel like he was preparing me for something really special, but somewhere in those years of chaos, my dreams seemed to have been lost. For me, it seemed like Good Friday.
You, you know, for s- some people, Good Friday is every day. Um, for some people, it just feels like every day is just dark. You're in this dark tomb, and you don't know if you're going to be able to get out. And it's dark, and there's just absolutely no escape whatsoever. And you may even come to church on a morning like this, and on the outside, you, you, you feel colorful, or you look colorful, but on the inside, you're just in this tomb. And it's Good Friday, and for you, it feels like there's no escape. And I just wonder if anybody is here today, you know, who feels that way? And if that's the case, um, I want to tell you about someone in the Bible that felt exactly like that. Um, Her name was Mary Magdalene. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of John, chapter 20. And we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 18. And we're going to be overhearing a conversation that... Uh, Mary Magdalene had with Jesus. Mary Magdalene was one of the followers of Christ. And she was so much in the dark that she couldn't even see Jesus when he was standing right in front of her. You'll find John chapter 20. Verses 10 to 18 on page 768 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, please take it as our gift. And um, I'm going to begin reading at verse 10. These verses are also on the screen as well. John chapter 20, verses 10 through 18. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she bent over to look into the tomb saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, Why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni! Which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is God's word. And as we look at these verses here this morning, and we see this dear woman This dear sister, I want to answer two questions. She's obviously in the dark. 
I want to know what kept her in the dark. What kept her from seeing Jesus? What kept her from recognizing the risen Lord? I want to answer that question this morning. And then the second question I want to answer is this. What did Jesus do to get her out of the dark? All right? That's where we're going. Well, by the time we get to verse 10 in John chapter 20, really, it had already been a busy day. It had. Uh, Mary Magdalene was one of the last to see Jesus. She was there at his crucifixion. She was there when his body was peeled off that cross. And she saw where they lay his corpse in the tomb. She was there. She'd seen it on that Good Friday. And on the first day of the week, she went to the tomb. See, they didn't have enough time before the, uh, before the Sabbath to finish preparing Christ's body for burial. So there on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, still dark, in more ways than one, dark without hope, dark in grief, dark in wondering what's going to happen next, Mary was there the first day of the week because she wanted to finish preparing his body for burial. And one of the other gospel writers tell us that while she was on her way to the tomb, she was wondering how that stone was going to get moved from the entrance to the tomb. But when she got there, to her surprise, the Bible says that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance to the tomb. And the way it worked was this. These stone doors that covered the entrance to the tomb, they kind of uh, tracked along this groove. And so they would kind of roll over the entrance of the tomb. And, and here, though, Gospels imply that not only was the stone door rolled back, it was like off the groove. So it was as if the door was not only opened, it had been ripped off the hinges. And Mary saw this. She saw this open tomb, and she concluded grave robbers. And so she raced back to the disciples, crying out, you know, taking his body. We don't know where that uh, they put him. And Peter and John bolt from where they were hiding, and they make it uh, a beeline right to the tomb. And John ran first, because he's faster. He gets to the entrance of the tomb. <laughs> he gets to the entrance of the tomb, and, and, and he just stops at the entrance of the tomb, because to enter that tomb would render him unclean as a Hebrew. Well, Peter just barrels on in. And this is what he sees. He sees the grave clothes. Of Christ. And I mean, the implication is that there's this shell, this cocoon of this you know, mummy, as if a body has materialized. We're, we're reading the detail here, is, is we're reading an eyewitness account. And it's as if the body has materialized through the grave clothes. But then something else, this is just uh, so fascinating that John points out that, that there was a separate 
burial cloth over the head, but that burial cloth was neatly folded and placed there on the other end. Jesus was not a messy. (laughs) And Peter saw this and left the tomb kind of wondering what had happened. John did the math. John looked at the evidence. This doesn't look like a grave robbery. What grave robber would spend their time unwrapping the body and then taking the body and then kind of rewrapping it to make it appear as if it... This is, no, no, no. And, and, and to neatly fold grave clothes? No, no, no. John did the math. John did the math. Why would the grave clothes be left behind if for no other reason that Jesus would no longer need grave clothes? Death has no power over the risen Christ. And that's why John chapter 20, verse 8 says that he, that's John, he saw and believed. He saw and believed. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Well, Mary catches back up. This is her second trip back to that tomb, right? She went there and then saw what she saw, and then bolted back to the disciples, who then didn't wait for her, saw what they saw. She comes back, and by the time she gets back, she's all by herself. Peter and John have gone. The other women that she had met there at the tomb, they're gone, and she's just there, and she's in the dark. She doesn't know what's going on, and and, and it's like, what's happening? Nobody's telling me anything. I don't know what's going to happen next. And all of a sudden, this emotional thunderstorm just cuts loose in her life. She starts weeping and bawling. She stood outside the tomb crying, wailing, and the Bible says that's when, that's when as she wept, she peered into the tomb. And when she peered into the tomb, she saw these two angels, John says. One seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. Two angels there at the tomb. One at the foot, one at the head. Now let me ask you something. What Old Testament piece of furniture does that remind you of? The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Mary's looking at the mercy seat right there. Only this lamb has been risen. And the angels speak. They ask her, woman, why are you crying? Now what kind of a question is that to ask at a grave? Unless they know something, she doesn't know. Why are you crying? And she says, they've taken my Lord away. It's a grave robber. She's still on grave robbers. She's still on grave robbers. And then John says, at this, at this, at this, at what? At this. Well, what's this? I don't know. I mean, did she sense that someone was behind her? Or, you know, did those angels look over her shoulder, you know? At this, 
At this, she turned. And she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. And that's my question number one. I told you I wanted to talk about She didn't realize it was Jesus. She didn't, she didn't, and see, this is put a little differently than what we see in Luke 24 when Jesus met those two disciples on the road to Emmaus where Luke's gospel says their eyes were kept from seeing Jesus as if Jesus somehow uh, disguised himself in his resurrected state. We, We don't really get that language here in John chapter 20. What we get here is that she just couldn't see him. Why? Well, she's in the dark. Why is she in the dark? Why is Mary in the... Why is she in the dark? Well, all right. I mean, on one hand, it's been a busy day. And I mean, the last time she saw Jesus, I mean, his body had been, you know, practically beaten beyond recognition. It had been peeled off the cross. It had been, you know, it had been bloodied and it had been wrapped in this mummified cloth, these burial cloths. I mean, the last person she expected to see standing there, well, you know, was Jesus. And so on the one hand, of course, she was in the dark about him. But, 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 but see, this leads us to go something a little deeper, you know? Four times in Matthew's gospel throughout Jesus' ministry, four times, Jesus very specifically said to the disciples, the Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, uh, he's going to be betrayed, arrested, flogged, crucified, going to die, buried, and on the third day he will rise again. These were not just passing remarks. These were strategically timed prophecies concerning himself. Carefully worded. Four times, son of man gets to Jerusalem, betrayed, arrested, flogged, crucified, dead, buried. On the third day he will rise. Four times. Now had you been with Jesus for three and a half years and you had heard him on four separate occasions make that prophecy about himself, wouldn't on the third day you would at least be curious? Oh, it's the third day. <laughs> well, let's go see. How many of the apostles did that? None. And Mary is there, but she's not there to witness the resurrection. She's there to be a mortician. See? She didn't see. Why didn't she see? I'll tell you why. It's the same reason why the apostles couldn't see. It's the, it's the reason that kept them in the dark. It's the reason that's keeping, that kept her in the dark. And you know what? I would dare say that it's the reason why you're in the dark. And here it is. Mary was kept in the dark because she possessed a grand devotion to a small messiah. A grand devotion to a small Messiah. Mary Magdalene was kept in the dark because she was passionately pursuing a pint-sized Christ. And her expectation of Jesus was, was keeping her from actually seeing Jesus. I mean, think about it. She's, she's seen two angels. She's seen the mercy seat. Jesus is breathing down her neck. 
And she thinks she's alone. And then when she does see Jesus, she thinks he's the gardener. And, and so she's gonna, she thinks he's the enemy. With what, tell me what you've done with the body, and I'll, I'll go get him. Come on, I'll, tell you, I'll take you on. I'm not scared of you. I'll go. How's she going to lug that body over into that tomb? It's just not going to happen. And she, 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 doesn't even, she can't say And ironically, ironically, her words are like, you, Jesus, you, tell me what you've done with yourself, and I'll go get you. And she's not making sense. And this grand devotion to a small Messiah and her expectation of Jesus is keeping her from seeing Jesus and that's why she was in the dark and and, and frankly that's why some of you are in the dark that's why we get in the dark because we have expectations about what we want Jesus to do and we have this life that we think Jesus should provide for us and, and, and this spouse that we think we would like to have Jesus provide for us and the kind of children and the kind of life and, 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 and some of that is innocent and we come with a request but then that request turns into a demand and an expectation and then if Jesus doesn't meet uh, our expectation of the kind of Messiah we think that he should be then we'll just withhold our worship. That's what we'll do. Yeah. And our commitment to, to our version of Jesus keeps us from seeing the Jesus who is. And in addition to that, church family, we live in a culture that encourages, uh, you know, uh, uh, tailor-made, personalized versions of, you know, someone that you want someone else to be. And, and, and so Hollywood and, and fiction writers will take historical figures and they'll just kind of revise them into, well, well this, let's try this. This is a little more interesting. And, and I'm thinking of uh, a motion picture that's going to be coming out. It's surely an Oscar contending motion picture, a critically acclaimed picture along this same lines where we take our 16th president and Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter. <laughs> it's coming out. That's, that's where I want to go on Father's Day, you know? Yeah, you didn't know this about our 16th president, and it's coming to theaters near you, uh, June 22nd. Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter, explores the secret life of our greatest president. Did you know that our greatest president had a secret life? And this is your president by day, vampire hunter by night. And, uh, the un- and, the, and the untold story, it's an untold story, it's never been told before, of course, that shaped our nation. And, and listen, here's the summary. Visionary filmmakers, visionary, that's what they call producers of such applesauce. Visionary uh, <laughs> Visionary filmmakers bring a fresh and visceral voice to the bloodthirsty lore of the vampire. Imagining, I'll say, imagining Lincoln as history's greatest hunter of the undead. I'm telling you, you know, this is, you don't like the president of history? Just show up to a theater on June 22nd. Maybe you'll like that president because you can choose, you know. And, 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 you know, People say, well, I would never do that to, I would never do that to Jesus. I would never, you know, Jesus Christ vampire hunter. I would never do that. And thank you. Good. But I'll tell you what the name of our movie is. Jesus Christ, 
next day delivery man. And we've got a computer mouse and we'll just click and 24 hours later, it's there. Okay? If you get your prayer in in the next three hours and 16 minutes, you get your delivery tomorrow. You know? And when God doesn't show up with what we want, when we want, and how we want it, our confidence in Him flags and we just going to withhold our worship and and we stay in the dark. And if you are in the dark, and the reason why you're in the dark is because you are passionately pursuing a pint-sized Christ because of your grand devotion to a small Messiah, if that's the case, can I just encourage you to listen to what Jesus said to Mary because he may be talking to you when he said, in verse 15, who is it you're looking for? Who are you looking for? Are you looking for your Jesus? Or just Jesus? See? Just Jesus. She is stuck in the dark because of her grand devotion to a small Messiah. And guess what? I mean, she is stuck. She's not going to get out of this on her own. She's not. You know? I mean, the verses don't read. And she turned and saw Jesus and said, Jesus! And he said, Mary. That's not, no. That's not what happened. There's going to have to be a breakthrough. And that's exactly what happened. Someone in the Gospels once said to Jesus, Lord, I believe Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And you know what? Jesus did that for her. He helped her unbelief. She didn't even ask. He just gave because he is a good, loving, caring, gracious God. He broke through. John chapter 10 verse 3 says that he calls his sheep by name and he leads them out. Jesus said to her in verse 16, Mary, Mary. And when he said Mary, literally, he uses her ancient name, her Hebrew name, Miriam. Miriam. Remember who Miriam was? The sister of Moses who witnessed God's cataclysmic overthrow of the Egyptian army when the walls of the Red Sea collapsed upon Pharaoh's armies. Miriam, Exodus chapter 15, verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophetess, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang and she danced her song, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, the horse and its rider he is hurled into the sea. And so what's going on in the Gospels here is a new Moses on the scene. A new Moses who has walked his people through the waters of death 
and come out on the other side risen and alive and this new Moses wants his little sister to sing and dance once more and he says Miriam and she says ah Rabboni she cried in Aramaic which means teacher and she grabbed him because he was a body a body not as a spirit you're going to get a new body in the new heavens and the new earth and she grabs this new body and Jesus is going okay 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 you can let go now Mary Mary focus right here come on we got we got we have work to do all right don't, don't, hold, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus Christ is the Son by nature and by right, and we are sons and daughters of the kingdom by redemption and by adoption, and Jesus is telling Mary, you know, we're not going back to, we're not, we're not redoing the past here where we kind of traveled in with village to village to village. This, this, we're, going, we're going global now, Mary. We're going global, and, and I'm returning to the Father. The ascension is coming. And, and what you need to understand is that when he says that I'm returning to the Father, it doesn't mean, doesn't mean he's saying, okay, so, you know, the clock is ticking, and so let's, uh, uh, let's, let's you know, we got a lot of stuff to do before I leave, and you'll never see me again. And no, no that's, not the, that's not the idea here. The idea here is that when Jesus returns to the Father, and when he ascends to the Father, he will send his Spirit. And when Jesus sends his Holy Spirit upon his church, then the Holy Spirit will mediate Christ's presence and Christ's power in a way that far exceeds what happened in that three and a half year ministry there in that New Jersey-sized nation of Israel. All nations you are to go to throughout the entire world. And so, you know, when you find yourself saying, oh, I wish I'd have been there in the first century to see Jesus personally, you really don't know what you're saying because the Holy Spirit, now, today, 1126, now today, mediates the presence and the power of Jesus Christ in a way that far exceeds what happened in that three and a half year time in Israel. Oh my. See, the word ascension does not mean absence. The word ascension means presence and sovereignty, and power. And so, Mary, I have a job for you. I have a mission for you. You need to go and tell the other disciples. Here, this dear woman came as a mortician. Jesus sent her as Christianity's very first missionary. She's the, she, she has been called the apostle to the apostles. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. 
And she told them that he had said these things to her. Just when she thought it couldn't get any worse. Well, that's when things just couldn't get any better. As Jesus Christ met her in her darkness. This, this, this demon-possessed woman. You know, Mary Magdalene was no prostitute. Okay, I mean, that's just Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter lore. You know, the Bible nowhere says that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. It does say that she was demon-possessed. Her body had been a condo for seven demons, and Jesus healed her. And, you know, some of you feel today like you just, your, your, your life has been possessed by your past, past pain, past hurts, past guilt, past mistakes, and there's no way out. You're in the dark, and it's because you are committed to a grand devotion to this small Messiah, and Jesus shows up, and you just need, you know, you come here today, and you feel like this week has been your worst week. You, you, you know, you're Tom Hanks, and you're cast away, and the best you got to show for it is this stupid volleyball named Wilson. And what I'm here to tell you is that in your darkness, God is closer than you think. He's closer than you think. And if you will just pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I want to get rid of my version of Jesus, and I just want to see Jesus. And if you're willing to do that, your story your story will get better. Mary's did. Carol, does your story get better? Yeah, my story gets a lot better. Well, come on up here and finish it. In fact, the first part is a part that, you know, I don't really like to tell a whole lot because that's the, that's the Good Friday part of my, my um, story. But it is part of my story. So, but I feel like I ought to reintroduce myself and say, Hi, I'm Mary. <laughs> Um, anyway, okay, so there I was in the darkness of the tomb, remember, before Randy, and I was sad and frustrated, so sad that I could hardly breathe. But on that day in August 2007, when I finally told Gary that I was done, that I couldn't live one more day in chaos, and so many more times since then, God appeared reminding me of his promises. He promised me that Easter would come that the abundant life he promised in John 10 would be mine. Not the little view like, God, give me my voice back, or let us be able to live together without, without all the agony, but abundant life. And so I wondered what that was. So over the past five years, I've taken it one day at a time. On days when I couldn't remember anything else, I sang, Jesus loves me, just like I did when I was little. I journaled. I listened to my small group and other friends who reminded me that God was in control both of the good days and the bad. I worked the Celebrate Recovery steps and became part of the Celebrate Recovery leadership team. And I began to take responsibility for my own behavior and the chaos I had created in my own life. And in the past year, God has opened doors for me that I could never have imagined five years ago. In June, Gary and I celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary together. 
We welcome two new grandkids to the family this year. Oh, next picture. Um, one of them missing um, is, was born in February, just not long ago. Two months ago, I sat at Cranard Center and watched God weave a miracle, combining my photography with the music of the CU Symphony. And in September, I found myself in a church in Africa, dancing with a group of women from the tiny village of Lisanjala, where I had gone to lead a photography project. After the church service, the minister came up to me and said, Carol, have you been here before to Malawi? And I said, no, why? And he said, because you seem so free. Well, he was right. I am free. Free to be all that God has made me to be. Free of the chains of my past and ready to walk through any doors he opens for me. The stone has been rolled away. Easter has come. God has been faithful. He has restored me my joy and made me new. Hallelujah. Happy Easter. Mary still sings. Mary still sings. God meets this um, most unlikely person at the most unexpected place with a mission, with a mission to announce the greatest news this world needs. And he's still at work making making things beautiful out of dust. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are still at work. Thank you so much that Jesus is risen bodily, historically. He is alive. And he has kept his promise to send his spirit on his people. Oh Lord, you make beautiful things out of dust. To you be the glory. Amen.